The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Stocks struggling to keep the momentum going as we brace for what could be the biggest read on inflation since Ronald Reagan took office. The congressional stock trading ban gaining support on both sides of the aisle, but this morning, New pushback, some calling it a solution in search of a problem. But we'll show you the big money in stocks behind it, and you can judge for yourself. A tenure of Peloton's new CEO off to a rough start is disgruntled former employees, and there are a lot of them, storm his first all-hands meeting. Disney appears to be firing on all cylinders as parks and streaming. They beat, and they send that stock surging. Later on... Into the Mickey D's Metaverse, the Golden Arches, ready to ask customers, would you like NFT fries with that fake burger? It is Thursday, February 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day, and stock futures right now not giving us a lot of clues They are mixed. We've got Dow futures up just a touch, NASDAQ futures down just a bit. All this, though, after a second nice day of gains in a row for the NASDAQ. That index surging more than 2%. It just kind of slowly keeps working to claw back some of those big losses for the month of January, as does the Dow. The Dow still down, but only down about 2% for the year. And by the way, the NASDAQ still about 10% off its intraday all-time high, but... Kind of working that back almost, you know, every other day, every day so far in February. Also making a nice snapback are the small caps. The Russell 2000 gaining another 1.8% yesterday for its fourth positive session in a row. It is now up 4% for the week. By the way, the small caps then, depending on what happens today and tomorrow, right now anyway, on pace for their best week in a couple of months. Let's get a check on the price of oil. It is back just above 90 bucks. You probably don't care about oil. You care about gasoline. And gasoline prices do continue to rise at gas stations around America. Bitcoin is back above 44000 and Ether right around 3200 All right, what is likely to be this morning's biggest money mover is going to be Disney. Shares there are jumping after reporting better than expected earnings and revenue and also showing stronger Disney Plus subscriber growth. Disney also seeing a big rebound in theme park profits and revenue climbing to an all-time high as people just go back into the parks in a big way, and they are spending. Disney stock is up 7.5% right now. If that holds, Disney would add about 75 points to the Dow at the open. Remember, a price-weighted index, that'll do that. Disney soaring right now. Much more on Disney a bit later on in this hour. Well, this is all not just happening here. There's a lot of big money movers to get to overseas and in what apparently they are calling Super Thursday. Rosanna Lockwood's at our London. What is Super Thursday? What makes it so super, Rosanna? 
I think we might have borrowed that from the Olympics, actually, Brian, or Thriller Thursday, you could call it as well. It's all about earnings. I'll come back to Let's just show you what's happening here at the FTSE 100, flirting with either side of the flat line. That's despite some strong uh, results out of AstraZeneca. The DAX, meanwhile, it's been lifted by Siemens. We saw a pop in their quarterlies. And the Cat Cajons is something of a laggard for the region. But let's get down to that Super Thursday and what is happening here. It is all about those earnings. Look at Siemens. They're 6% up. And you're looking at Unilever, as I mentioned, they're 3.2% down. The AstraZeneca is 3.7% uh, up. It's all about how these companies are reporting credit suites. You might see there is four and a half heavy Europe's biggest companies hitting the wires this morning. L'Oreal around 3% down as well. Among those major movers, Unilever in the red after responding to investor pressure, announcing a 3 billion euro share buyback program and saying it will not pursue any major acquisitions. Quarterly net income at Siemens jumping 20% as the German industrial giant saying it's avoided major supply chain disruptions. We've had shares of Credit Suisse, as mentioned there, down below 4%. That's after that Swiss lender reported a fourth quarter net loss of just over 2 billion Swiss francs, hit by provisions to settle legal costs and a slowdown in its trading and wealth management divisions. Back to you, Brian. Rosanna Lockwood in London on a, on a super, super Thursday. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, now let's get some of your top stories that are happening right now. Tesla is being sued by California regulators. Some people alleging racial discrimination and harassment at the company's Fremont, California factory. Regulators say they have received hundreds of complaints from workers and did find evidence that black workers have been subjected to racial slurs and discrimination when it comes to assignments, pay, and promotions. No comment from Tesla. Wells Fargo is planning on bringing back employees to the office mid-March. And after repeated delays due to, you know, the pandemic, most groups will return under a, quote, hybrid flexible model beginning March 14th. And that is regardless of vaccination status. Wells Fargo, which has nearly 250,000 employees at the end of last year, originally set a return to office date for September of last year, then again in December, and then postponed that return to office plan indefinitely. And McDonald's appears to be preparing for a move into the metaverse, or at least probably just protecting its real assets in the fake world. The company filing a series of patents for virtual things like virtual McDonald's it is the latest company to try to shore up its intellectual property in the virtual world. All right, later on this morning is maybe the single biggest piece of economic data so far this year. Even more important to the market than the jobs number. That is the January read on inflation, and it is expected to soar up 7.2% year over year. That's the forecast. If that happens, it will be the biggest yearly jump since 1982. Now, excluding food and energy, so-called core CPI, seen rising 5.5% year on year. But of course, food and energy are pretty much a big part of everybody's everyday life, as we know. Now, today's read on is key for the markets and your money, because this is directly tied, maybe the most tied, to the Fed's playbook for interest rate hikes. Jay Powell has said over and over again that his main goal is to fight inflation and that rate hikes may try to tamp down that inflationary aspect. Joining us now to talk more about this and the markets is Piper Sandler Chief Market Technician Craig Johnson, nice and early from Minneapolis. But we do, my friend, appreciate the fact that you got you know 25 minutes of sleep last night. Thank you very much, Craig. <laughs> uh, how closely are you and your team watching this inflation 
number. And please say a lot because we just made a big deal about it. First and foremost, good morning, Brian. And uh, yes, we are watching this number very carefully. And what I would say is I kind of put this all together in our monthly publication titling it breaking up is sort of hard to do. And that's not referring to Mrs. Johnson and myself, to be clear. What it's really referring to is the markets and the Fed and the very accommodative policy we've had out there. And this CPI number coming out is going to be a very important read. But Brian, like you said, we've already priced in a fair number of rate hikes from the Fed. And at this point in time, you've got about five hikes sort of priced in at this point in time. And when you think about the batting average of the Fed's kind of historical record, they've only been right about 50% of the time. And they have sort of overshot four out of the last sort of five times. So I would say at this point in time, the CPI number is going to be very, very important for stocks and also we could very much turn this sort of value-driven market uh, back into a growth-driven market again if this number comes out below expectations. Um, if it comes out above expectations, I think you're going to continue to see some of these energy stocks continue to work, and you're certainly going to see uh, yields perhaps on the 10-year move up very quickly, and that's not going to help the growth stocks at this point in time. So this is a very important number, and our team, uh, Brian, is watching it very carefully. So if we come in a little bit softer, less than 7.2 or whatever, and it seems hard, I mean, having just go to the grocery store or whatever you want to do, and it seems hard to believe that the number will come in softer. But if it does, Craig, that could be bullish for growth stock parts of the market because perhaps we're talking about fewer rate hikes. That is correct. I think if it's going to be softer, you're going to see fewer potential rate hikes. You're going to see equity markets work, and you're going to see specifically a lot of these stocks in the technology sector that have been under a lot of pressure. Some of those stocks that really don't have uh, earnings and that sort of style of selling those stocks and buying those tech stocks that do have earnings will probably flip back around. And you could even see some of the beaten up areas like biotech uh, start to turn. And if you just look at a chart of an XBI or Vertex or some of these other names out there, Brian, you can see they're starting to turn up in here just a little bit. And that move could certainly gain speed and momentum on a, a bit of a weaker number out here. Now, if the number comes in above oh. expectations, you had a question? I say overall, though, Craig, are you, are you sticking by your, your, your as we've talked about your Van Halen uh, forecast for the <laughs> S and P five hundred fifty one fifty? No change with our fifty one fifty, Brian. I think you know if this market is going to be a little bit uh, soft in the short term, which I think is going to be soft and volatile in the near term. I still think by year end you can see this market move up toward this fifty one fifty number. We think, in terms of our work, just the total technicals, the relative strength, and everything else, you still want to be overweight energy. You want to be overweight financials, and you want to be overweight some of these larger cap tech stocks right now, the ones that have earnings specifically. And if that inflation never comes in hot, you're saying energy stocks could benefit, actually. So are you calling, Craig, maybe for, uh, pardon this, the best of both worlds? That is exactly right, Brian. And I think the Fed can manage that and, nicely. And if it comes in weaker, maybe the market will jump. I can keep going with these Van Halen song puns, but I won't, Craig, because it's 4.10 in the morning where you are. But we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. All right, getting up at you know three—that's what dreams are made of. All right.
We are just getting started. And when we come back, a first on CNBC interview with the CEO of AstraZeneca. That stock is popping in the pre-market. Plus, the big money and big name stocks that members of Congress are trading the most. We'll name names as some start to push back on calls for a ban. Imagine that. Later on, the House of Mouse looking strong. Why Disney is feeling some magic this morning. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. AstraZeneca posting better than expected earnings and better than expected revenues this morning. Results there driven by the company's COVID-19 antibody treatment as well as their slate of cancer drugs. Meg Terrell joining us now nice and early with an interview with AstraZeneca's CEO, Meg, and we appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you. Brian, thank you. Pascal Sorio, thanks for being with us this morning. You know, let's talk about the drivers of your forecast for this year, particularly when it comes to COVID. You've said you expect the vaccine to decline this year, but the antibody drug uh, to increase. Tell us about these dynamics you're seeing. Thank you so much, Megan. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, we have guided that uh, in 2022, our revenue will go up by high teens. Um, within this, the COVID portfolio will decline, mostly driven by decline of the vaccine and the growth of our uh, product called Evusheld, a, a combination of antibodies for the protection of people who are immunocompromised. And we have been accumulating orders from many countries around the world, and there's more to come. It's really a unique product that is dedicated to people who do not respond to vaccines people who have cancer, especially blood cancers or transplant patients, um, uh, people who have immune disease and do not respond to vaccines. Right. And with that, do you expect to be signing even more deals, potentially here in the United States, for that antibody drug? You know, about 3% of people may be immune compromised, can't get enough benefit from the vaccines. You've supplied a few supply deals to us so far, but could there be even more? Yeah, absolutely. We are in active discussion with the U.S. government. I have to say the U.S. government has taken a, a clear leadership in the world um, to help uh, develop antibodies, including ours. That is quite unique for those immunocompromised patients. We have already signed uh, large contracts with uh, the U.S. government, and we are in discussion for additional uh, supplies. 
Well, let's talk about the vaccine as well, because in some markets, you say you're moving from a not-for-profit to a for-profit model as the pandemic kind of exits the emergency phase. How are you looking at the United States market? Are you planning to file here when? And is there a market for AstraZeneca's vaccine in the United States? We are in discussion with the FDA on the, on the filing of our vaccine, Vaxevria. Um, but it is fair to say that um, the biggest need uh, for this vaccine is in the uh, emerging markets. I think it is important to remember um, almost 90% of the world population lives outside the U.S. and Europe. And it is important to protect those people, especially those living in low-income countries, with a vaccine that is easy to use, uh, effective, uh, safe and affordable. And it's important for them, of course, but it's also important for the rest of the world because unvaccinated populations uh, are, are where the virus will tend to mutate and then come back as a variant to the uh, Western world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of emerging markets, looking at the rest of your business, it's a big part of your business, but you've noted uh, the, de- the China business is going to decline this year. You're seeing pricing pressures, but overall you expect emerging markets to increase this year. Tell us about those dynamics. Yes, actually, we are uh, facing uh, challenges in uh, China, like the entire industry. Uh, the Chinese market is going through a transition which is similar to what the U.S. and Europe uh, went through a few years ago, which means that older products uh, suffer uh, immense price pressures and uh, you have to launch new products. Uh, And the good news is the the Chinese government is supporting innovation and the introduction of new innovative products. So that is what we are doing. But, of course, we are suffering from the decline of our older portfolio. Um, but we have a strong lineup of new products and we have been progressing these very fast in China. So we still believe China is an important country for us and will continue to grow in the next uh, few years. And on top of it, All right, Pascal, we have sorry, the, oh, go ahead. emerging markets out of China doing extremely well, of course. Mm. Well, an interesting picture of what's going on. We appreciate you being with us this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you, Meg. Brian. Yeah, Meg, Meg, thank you for bringing us that interview. It sounds like AstraZeneca, at least how do you hear it, Meg, kind of firing on all cylinders and a CEO acknowledging that there's a lot to deal with even post-COVID. Meg Terrell, our big thanks. All right, on deck. Trouble in Dearborn as Ford is forced to make some tough decisions as a Canadian bridge blockade cutting off a lifeline. Plus, the robot revolution may have to wait, at least for robots that vacuum your carpet. I'll tell you why, coming up. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Stock number one is iRobot, the Roomba vacuum maker getting rocked. The stock is down 15%. Ouch. Sales missing forecasts. Company says chip shortages, shipping delays, and other supply chain problems hurting the business. Going the other way this morning is stock number two, Twilio. That stock up nearly 18%. It had strong fourth quarter results, but more important to the market, the company says that it does expect to be profitable in 2023 or next year. And stock three, Mattel, Barbie, rocking it for the toy maker. Sales of Barbie up 18%. The stock is surging up 11% right now. The Barbie jump offsetting a drop of things like Hot Wheels. Mattel CEO says the company's turnaround phase is over and they are now in what they call, quote, growth mode. All right, let's get a check now on the morning headlines outside of the world of money and business. Francis Rivera is in New York now with those. Good morning, Francis. Brian, good morning. As we start today with figure skating controversy in Beijing, the medal ceremony to award Russians their gold at the Olympics was delayed after reports of a positive drug test from a Russian skater. The International Olympic Committee has not said the delay was caused by doping allegations. NBC News reached out to the International Skating Union and the Russian Olympic Committee. Neither has responded. Team USA took silver and Japan won bronze in the team event. So any decision about the Russian athletes? could have a ripple effect. The family of Bob Saget releasing the comedian's cause of death. They say Saget passed from an accidental blow to the head. Authorities believe he accidentally hit the back of his head on something, didn't think anything of it, and then went to sleep. The report found no alcohol or drugs were in his system. Good news for Team USA is snowboarder Chloe Kim shreds into the history books. The 21-year-old phenom has become the first woman to win two gold medals in the halfpike. She posted a 94, beating out Spain and Japan. And employees at Dolly Parton's Amusement Park could soon get their college tuition for free. The new Dollywood Employee Program will cover tuition and book costs for its 11,000 employees across 25 U.S. locations. We're talking about full-time, part-time, and even seasonal employees will be eligible. Brian, very typical of Dolly Parton because you know when it comes to anything from cancer to you know natural disasters, even COVID uh, research, she's going to give, give back to that. So it just makes sense that Dolly Parton is doing good at Dollywood. I, I had the pleasure to meet Miss Parton years ago. I'm going to tell you something, Francis. I'm not just saying this for TV purposes. It was one of the highlights of my life. She's personality is about eight feet tall and just the nicest. And I mean, like you felt the energy in the room. It was very cool. A national treasure. Hopefully she did the whole like nails, strumming the nails thing that she normally does for you. There was a... Oh, yeah. There was a lot of everything. I mean, I'm telling you, she's about eight feet tall. I was looking up to Dolly Parton. It was pretty cool. Uh, we need it. We'll take the show on the road, Francis. You and I will go to Pigeon Forge. <laughs> she's got a spot for Francis. us. All right. <laughs> By the way, the Great Smoky Mountains is the most visited national park in America. That is random but interesting and true. Who knew? I don't even know why I know that. Francis, thank you very much. Sure. Just Google that make sure I'm right. <clears throat> anyway, straight ahead. 
Uh, what is the future of restaurants as America comes out of the pandemic? Well, we've got an inside look with the head of one very fast-growing young company that is trying to change the game. We'll be right back. Stick around. Can your money keep this recent little run going? Well, it may depend on perhaps the most important read in decades on inflation. That number out in three hours. The big money around Congress's stock trading habits. We'll look at the five biggest trades and traders and some names you will know. This is something you're only going to see here. Plus, thank you, Boba Fett. Disney flying high as it blooms on theme parks, streaming, and more. It is all happening on this Thursday. February 10th, and this is Wex. Oh, good morning and welcome, or welcome back, everybody. It's uh, almost exactly 5.30 here on the East Coast. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures not giving you a lot of help about which way things are going. The market is clearly waiting for 8.30. So we're seeing Dow futures up a little bit, NASDAQ futures down a little bit. What's happening at 8.30? Well, it's when we get the consumer price index. Now, normally... Eh, CPI, sort of, kind of important, not really. Today, it is. It is expected to hit its highest level since 1982. If that number comes in hot, you just heard from Craig Johnson of Piper Sandler. If that number comes in hot, maybe stocks take a hit because there'd be more rate hikes that would go along to try to crush that inflation. If the number comes in a little softer, maybe we see tech and other value stock or growth stocks surge because that would give the idea that we could maybe not have as many rate hikes and keep rates a little bit lower. That CPI number, really, really important. I mean, think about that. Could show the biggest year-over-year price gains since Return of the Jedi was the hot movie. Well, speaking of Return of the Jedi and Star Wars and Disney, see what I did there? You might be able to thank Disney for any gains in the Dow this morning because House of Mouse is looking to add about 75 points to the Dow at the open that's because their numbers came in very strong. We'll get more on Disney stock in a few moments. Right now, though, to some of this morning's other top headlines. The fast-moving bipartisan effort to ban stock trading by members of Congress reportedly hitting some resistance on both sides of the aisle. Shocker there. Some questioning its reach into family businesses and whether a true ban would discourage public service. For his part, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, whose opinion is shared by others, says he is, quote, not enthusiastic, but would look at the various proposals making their way through Congress, adding, quote, I think it's a solution in search of a problem and one more thing that makes it unattractive for some people to serve in Congress. Hmm. Coming up, we'll show you the five biggest stocks being traded, some of the big names, and you can kind of decide for yourself. That's coming up at the end of the show. All right, meantime, in Canada, blockade of the Ambassador Bridge between Ontario and Detroit by protesters demanding an end to Canada's COVID-19 restrictions, forcing Ford to shut down and scale back two of its factories. That bridge carries 25% of all trade between America and Canada, and Canada-bound traffic has now been stopped for three days. Ford says it hopes the situation is resolved quickly, because if not, it could start having a widespread impact on all automakers in the U.S. and Canada, although a lot of other bigger things going on there. All right, and the tenure of Peloton's New CEO Barry McCarthy off to a rough start. Sources telling us the company held a virtual all-hands meeting yesterday. One meant to just, you know, introduce McCarthy as the new CEO. Instead, the conversation was cut short by current and former employees who logged in 
started yelling about how angry they were about recent job cuts, posting messages to the company-wide chat accusing it of mismanagement and calling the meeting, quote, tone deaf. One person even writing they are selling their Peloton apparel just to pay their personal bills. No comment from Peloton. All right, now to the stock of the day, and that has got to be Disney. It beat analysts' expectations on both the top and the bottom lines for its most recent quarter. Company also beating on parks and experiences, seeing that operating income surpass even pre-pandemic levels. Think about that. Disney also saying it added 130 million subscribers at Disney+, Plus, also ahead of estimates. CEO Bob Chapek reaffirming the streaming subscriber guidance in an interview with our own Julia Borston yesterday. Listen. We're reaffirming our guidance of 230 to 260 as we gave last December. That's been our target, that continues to be our target. And really what's driving is what we've said, great content. We'll have more franchise added content on our big franchises added this fiscal year, double what we had in 21. That was Bob Chapek on with Julia yesterday. Let's now bring in John Hudlick. He is telecom analyst at UBS. John, welcome. Disney is your only buy-rated sort of traditional media company. Uh, obviously, it's, that's a good, looking like a good call this morning with the stock soaring. Uh, what exactly is, is happening at Disney right now? Is it firing on all cylinders or is there some special thing going on with the company? Uh, actually, we, we also have our rating, uh, buy rating on Fox. We upgraded that a couple of weeks ago, but, but you're right. Um, Disney is hitting on all cylinders. It's a, it's a great reopen trade at this point, you know, really led by, as you said, the, the D2C businesses. They added almost 12 million Disney Plus subscribers. Estimates were for, for, for 7 million. We were at 10 million. And then the parks, as you said, re- really record margins in the domestic business. It's really amazing. When you think about this, John, we, we said the parks are performing better than pre-COVID. And I know for a lot of us up here in the Northeast, that have been sort of stuck in, you know, I don't want to say stuck inside, but certainly things have not been anywhere near normal for two years for us to get our heads around the idea that the parks are packed, right? I mean, they're they are full. People are spending a ton of money and they're letting loose. It really is. There, there's a tremendous amount of demand, um, you know, and it's really the, the biggest driver is the spending, whether it's the ticket prices or the food or the merchandise, the per cap spending was up over 40%. Uh, and the parks, actually, there's still more room to go. I mean, they, they were not at capacity. We still don't have international travelers back who actually spend more than domestic travelers. So even though they had you know, a record domestic year uh, quarter, there's still a lot of room to go as the, the full effects of the pandemics start to recede. Yeah. Is there anything that you see changing or is this really going to be the roaring 22s? I mean, I understand, you know, the sort of the you know, the, the, the bandage comes off. Everybody storms the parks because they haven't gone anywhere for a while. How long is there going to be pent-up demand like this? It's really hard to say, but as far as the, the Disney parks business is concerned, um, you know, there's a, a number of new attractions, the Star Wars attractions, the Avengers. We're, we're not at capacity yet. We think we'll get there over the course of the year. And then the the international parks, Paris, Hong Kong, Tokyo, those are going to come back online. Those are certainly lagging due to COVID reasons. But look, I think you saw similar results at Comcast Parks a couple weeks ago when they reported. I think we've got a a nice stretch here for for probably the next year where the comps are very easy and we're going to see very solid growth in cash flow. 
You know, we talk a lot about streaming because that's, John, we're in the media, so we love to talk about our, our own business all the time, obviously, right? So we talk a lot about streaming. The numbers are big, but is it making any money for the company? No, at this point, it's not for Disney. Uh, it is for Netflix. Yeah, it's not uh, really the leader in the space. Exactly. But for, uh, for Disney, the losses were actually a little bit, little bit higher than the street expected. There's a tremendous amount of content coming on the platform, as, as you heard from Bob in, in, that, in the previous interview. Um, so, yeah, we're in the growth phase. They're losing money. Uh, but, um, you know, we expect that the fiscal 22 will be the biggest year of losses, but profitability is still a couple of years out. Yeah, I mean, I, thank you for saying that. I know it's it's a sexy part of the business, the streaming and all the new shows, but it's it's not contributing anything uh, right now. Quickly, John, what about ESPN? Uh, ESPN's had its own issues for a while. They are a big money maker. Uh, how is Absolutely. ESPN doing for Disney? ESPN actually did a l- little bit better than we expected. Um, sports viewership is actually very strong. You saw that at Fox earlier in the day. Uh, sports advertising also been very strong and, and actually cord cutting has gotten a little bit better. So I would say results at ESPN were, were, were better than expected. And, um, no, I think they're going to maintain it. I mean, sports and news are what people are watching on TV and ESPN's right there. And we're, we, we are, by the way, happy about that. John Hudlick, we appreciate the view there on Disney, 130 million sub ads. All right, John, thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot more to do, folks. And as we head to break, some of this morning's other big money movers, Uber is jumping after topping analyst estimates on its quarterly revenue and sales. The rideshare company says starting to see business bounce back from, you know, the pandemic. Education tech company to you tumbling after its quarterly results. Despite its results coming in ahead of analyst expectations, the forecast was weak due to what it calls an unpredictable digital marketing environment. And O'Reilly Automotive gaining after reporting what it said were the, quote, best results in the company's history. Wow, how's that? Thank you for being direct, O'Reilly. Sales rose 16% year over year. It's an auto parts company. Had strong full-year sales guidance saying it expects robust consumer demand. And why not? You've seen the price of used cars? Nobody can afford them. Everyone's just going to drive their car as long as they can. Worldwide Exchange is back with more right after this. All right, welcome, welcome back. Well, no industry perhaps got disrupted as much over the last couple of years than the restaurant business. A lot of people simply leaving the industry, maybe forever. A lot of restaurants closing down and having to change the way they do business. So what is the future of restaurants? Let's talk about this more with somebody who's got a firsthand view of the business. Alex Broker is founder and CEO of Union POS, Point of Sale, which offers a cloud-based point of sale system to bars and restaurants. You know, you scan the QR code on your phone and Everything just happens. Alex, uh, thanks for joining us. You're out in Texas. I know it's super early, but it's an important topic because we all love we all love the restaurant business. We all want to go out. We want to have those experiences, but we need the workers to not only have it be valuable to them, but also to be there because they have been leaving in droves. You're sort of at the front line of this. What are you seeing from the restaurant industry right now? Good morning. Thanks for having us on from Union. Right, good to see you. Yeah, it's, it's really mayhem, uh, devastation, and chaos. Many of our owners are, are pretty panicked. They've ridden a long and pretty treacherous storm here. And now that we reemerge and we learn to live with COVID, their entire hospitality staff base isn't coming back. 
Four out of five restaurants are understaffed. 51% have now reduced their seating capacity. And what's worse is most workers surveyed, we're down a million workers, are never going to come back to this industry. They've moved on. So it's, it's really, uh, our hearts are out to all the restaurant owners. It's such a big part of our economy. Many people don't realize 15 million workers are in hospitality. A trillion dollars a year. Is That's spent. amazing. And I, and I and, appreciate the brutal honesty because we need it. And by the way, a lot of the people that are working and our thanks to them. I went out to dinner last night here in New Jersey. It's still a little bit shaky for a lot of people. I don't mind. I go out all the time, but I want to thank these folks. And by the way, because a lot of people are acting like idiots at restaurants and please don't do that. Uh, anyway, talk to us about union. And if the model is changing, maybe forever. OK, talk to us about your product and really how we're going to be able to make sure that the restaurant stays open, your company prospers, but also the folks that are still at the restaurant are also able to prosper. Yeah, thanks, Brian. In terms of union, we you view this as an opportunity to save the restaurant industry. The QR code was given up for debt. And in basically less than a year, the QR code ushered in the fastest consumer technology adoption curve in payments we've probably ever seen. But moreover, what it provides is uh, an opportunity for restaurant owners, the staff and their guests to come together in this marriage. That's how we use the word unions. We came up with the name to really have an exceptional experience where you're short staff, people are angry Uh, with the use of our platform. The average person, when they sit down to get their first drink is 42 seconds. Pre-pandemic levels, it was nine minutes. Where else uh, in other industries do you give your credit card to a stranger who walks away for five or 10 minutes, brings you back your paper receipt of which you leave three of those slips? So from a union perspective, we, we um, use the QR code in a mobile platform to really engage in this, in this commerce experience and, and uh, provide delightful consumer experiences, increased, uh, less negative reviews, I guess I'll say. And, and you're right. People aren't coming yeah. in and yelling at the staff because it took so long. What we allow our uh, union customers to do is basically empower them with a device that every single one of them walks in and stares at nonstop when they get to their restaurant. You order faster, you get your check faster, you have a delightful experience, you get greeted warmly by a push notification on the app saying, Brian, welcome yeah. back. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming. Appetizers on us today. That's the power of what everybody's what? holding in their hand today. You had me, Alex, at appetizers on us today. So uh, you know, very much appreciate that. You guys raising money in a Series B round over subscribe. Uh, we'll look for Union out there. Alex Brooker, we really appreciate your views. Alex, thank you very much. Have a great day and good right, luck. Thank you. Yeah, good day. Thanks. All right. By the way, folks, if you are going out to eat, and we hope you are, tip well, be kind. It's not that hard. All right, on deck. A closing look at congressional stock trading. The biggest players and the biggest five stocks that were traded over the last few years. Some exclusive data you're going to see here. And some of this might actually blow your mind. Stick around. All right, welcome back. No RBI today. Instead, let's stay now on the story that everybody is beginning to talk about, the possible ban on stock trading by members of Congress. Because if you think this is just some small-time thing where families are you know, buying a couple of shares of stock here, selling them there, 
think again. This is big business, and there are some big numbers involved. So let's now bring you another kind of top five at five, which stocks are getting bought and sold the most by Congress, and who is doing the trading. The data comes from research firm House Stock Watcher, as well as official congressional documents and our research. And we're going to focus on the House, not the Senate, because honestly, that's where most of the trading action is coming from. We're going to count you down five to one, all right? Fifth most traded stock the last few years is J.P. Morgan. House Stock Watcher notes 64 trades in the bank over the last few years. The most volume on that trade, Oklahoma Republican Congressman Kevin Hearn. Stock number four, Amazon, 92 total trades with about three and a half million dollars more in buying than selling. In other words, members of the House, they love them some Amazon. The most action coming from the husband of California's Nancy Pelosi, with four big trades representing about 70% of the total trading volume, including a big buy in January of 2020. Very well-timed there. The third most traded congressional stock is Facebook, or Meta, with 93 trades recently. And this is a stock many in Congress apparently don't like, because House Stock Watcher notes that nearly $5 million more in sales occurred than buys. I mean, maybe that makes sense. The company they're all talking about potentially regulating, right? Again, the most volume on Facebook is by Congresswoman Pelosi's husband, who, by the way, has been a very active trader over the last number of years. But she is not the most active congressional member on Facebook. That honor goes to Rhode Island Democrat James Langevin, who has been very active in Facebook options. Stock two is probably also not a surprise. That's Apple. That's had 174 Congressional stock trades in the House of Representatives alone and a big bias again to the sell side. The most volume here is, once again, Nancy Pelosi with a close second coming from Washington State Democrat Kim Schreier. And speaking of Washington State, the most traded stock by Congress is Microsoft. Microsoft getting a whopping 215 trades worth about $160 million in the last few years. Congresswoman Susan Del Bene leads the pack there. She is married, though, to a former Microsoft executive and says this was a sale of longtime stock around his retirement. So kind of a unique situation there. The most total trades on Microsoft is New Jersey's Josh Gottheimer with 93 total trades in the past few years. Remember, he talked about that with Becky Quick on CNBC just a couple of weeks ago. So those are just the top five most traded stocks by volume in the House. But there are many hundreds more stocks that are in play, ranging from cigarette maker Philip Morris to Grubhub to ExxonMobil and a bunch of other oil and gas companies. Hundreds of millions of stocks bought and sold. Bought and sold by many of the same people who are responsible for writing the laws that may help or hurt many of those companies. No wonder people are starting to step up and take notice, and we will stay on the story. I guess that's random but interesting around Congress. All right, for more on this, bring in our friend John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor on the CNBC Newsline. And John, uh, good to have you on. I mean, we talked about Facebook there. You're seeing a lot, and you don't have to comment on this stuff. I don't want you to get audited as well now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) A lot of action. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of action around, not by Congress, by random people. Facebook getting a lot of attention as well on your end, correct? Yeah, um, I got back in. Uh, I, I got out, Brian. Uh, basically, we were lucky enough to have you out at our Vegas conference. And on the way out of Vegas, 
that's when that news broke, of course, about the uh, Francis Hagan, the whistleblower, and the stock traded uh, to the downside, and it was under some pressure. And we thought that would continue. So long story short, I cut half my position on that day in October, and then I just kept selling and eventually exited the stock in the 330 to 340 range. I finally got back in Monday this week, Brian, um, and the reason I got back in was uh, I don't know if it was Ms. Mr. Pelosi, um, but I certainly saw some pretty strong, unusual activity. And then yesterday, um, Wednesday, Kevin O'Leary uh, called into the show, and he was buying as well. The activity at the 2.30 strike, Brian, was just intense. That's options that expire tomorrow, February 11th, at the 2.30 strike. They traded 33,000 of them, bang, yeah. just in one big print. By the end of the day, it had traded 110,000 just at that one strike, and then many more at higher strikes as well, 70,000. These are crazy numbers. So we always talk about volume, volatility, velocity. You got all of that. People finally saying that maybe enough damage had been done, and the institutions were feasting in there yesterday as the shares traded up, I think, $10 or more off the low of the day. Wow. And uh, again, by the way, appreciate going out to that conference. I'll see you down at TPC in Florida, by the way. Looking forward to that. I think March 12th or whatever, John, we'll, we'll get some sun uh, together. But it's All not right. just equities, right? This congressional this no. congressional stock trading thing is also options. I noted Facebook. James Langevin of Rhode Island has been active in options in Facebook. So members of Congress are also trading options. Maybe you guys and you and Pete need a, a new segment, you know, uh, unusual congressional options activity. You're welcome. Well, they certainly, thank you. It, they certainly seem like they're active. And uh, my bets are that they have done pretty well on the timing. It's not just Amazon, but a lot of those other timings for the entry and exit was probably pretty uh, concise and precise, Brian. Yeah. All right. So some, some really bullish options activity going on with Facebook slash Meta, whatever you want to call them. John, is there a macro market view? What, what other just major options trends, if any, are you seeing around more the macro side? Well, we've finally seen people, uh, you know, the, the volume of options on those VIX calls and puts, for that matter, um, has accelerated again. Um, it's to the downside, though, to the downside in terms of lower volatility is what they're saying is coming and you can kind of see why. I mean, the market seems to have found some footing uh, that uh, 200-day moving average for the NASDAQ and so forth at about 365 for that QQQQ. Um, that, that's one of those things that I think people have a little more comfort when we get back up to and through some of these resistance points. I think that means that volatility would likely ebb a little bit more in the short term. John Najarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. John, we'll see you down in uh, Florida for the TPC Sawgrass. John, appreciate that, my friend. Have a great day. Take care. You, you too, Brian. Thank you. All right, there you go, folks. All right, thank you, John. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Hope you enjoyed that look at congressional stock trading. We'll see what happens there. It's kind of a big and growing story. We'll stay on it for you, and we will see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. Have a great Thursday. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package list and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 